Can you give us a station ID? They'll kill me if I don't, I don't ask. I'd hate to see you killed. This is Steve Robinson, temporarily back on Earth, in Davis on KDVS 90.3. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We are going to have uh, we're going to have a lot of fun today, and a lot of ground to cover, as we so often do. Uh, three guests on today's program. We're going to speak later in our uh, first segment today with our local host here in the Davis, Sacramento area of NPR's Morning Edition. That would be Donna Abadoni. We'll talk about the uh, upcoming uh, pledge drive. They have a little uh, novel approach over at KXJZ, and we'll uh, talk to her a bit about that. In our second segment, we're going to look back at a recap here, I think, uh, with our aviation correspondent, Vladimir Zaravika. Although he is our aviation correspondent, we're going to talk about Cheng Ho, or Zheng He, the uh, famous... Chinese explorer of the 15th century who's uh, surfaced in the news again. That should be fun. And in our third segment, we'll resume our conversation with Barbara Honiger, former member of the Reagan-Bush administration and author of October's Surprise. We're going to look at some deep politics in segment three. So whatever you do, don't go away. Let's start today's show with a scoop we didn't even know we had a few months back. Uh, I asked Steve Squires, the uh, principal investigator of the Mars rover missions, whether they might be looking forward to an IMAX movie. And this is something I just pulled out of left field. Knowing what the amount of imaging they had from Mars, they may be able to turn this into a film. Well, it turns out that movie, that IMAX film, The Rovers on Mars, is going to debut across the country tonight. The first review I, I saw of it said, this is the kind of thing that IMAX was invented for. And uh, we're going to go see it real soon. We'd like to note something we were unaware of, the Sacramento Bee article last Friday, uh, that Aerojet, our local Sacramento firm, which has been uh, very big in the rocketry business uh, dating back to the 1960s, apparently made the rocket motors that were the boosters on the Pluto mission which uh, NASA successfully launched last week. We mentioned our news director, Drake Martinet, who's, uh, who's with the Astronomy Club here at UC Davis, was going to talk to us about Pluto. So when we do that, we're also going to try and get someone over at Aerojet to talk about rocket science and maybe what it takes to be a rocket scientist. Today's program airs on January 26th, and on this date in history, January 26th, 1784, in a letter to his daughter, our founding father, Benjamin Franklin, wrote that the turkey would be a more fitting national symbol for the United States than the bald eagle. We at Radio Parallax do not necessarily agree that the turkey would have been a superior choice. However, looking at the goings-on in the federal government of the past five to six years, uh, <laughs> we, we do have some second thoughts. We should note also that uh, 300 years ago this month, uh, Ben Franklin was born into the world. Also 250 years ago this month, so was Mozart. It's curious to note that uh, Ben Franklin invented a musical instrument, the glass harmonica, that actually Mozart wrote some music for. 
No, not harmonica. This was, uh, you know, if you ever like rub the top of a glass and get that fine little eerie sound that comes off it. Well, apparently Ben Franklin was enchanted by that. Built an instrument that was uh, that was played by touching the edge of spinning glass with a dampened finger. Its uh, tones appealed uh, not only to Mozart but apparently also Beethoven. And uh, that instrument sounds something like this. Pretty, uh, pretty hearts of space kind of stuff for like the 1700s, wouldn't you say? Franklin was probably the most famous colonial American in the, in the 18th century, and uh, it was his uh, behind-the-scenes lobbying, of course, that led France to come into the war on the uh, side of the rebels. That was us back in uh, 1776. And really, the French don't get credit for it, but if they hadn't have come in to uh, secretly aid us against the British, we probably would have the queen on our dollar bill at present. On this date in 1885, modest fighters, which were Islamic fundamentalists in the state of Sudan, killed British General George Chinese Gordon on the palace steps. The next time the British army went in, they had machine guns with them, and the outcome favored the invaders. On this date in 1934, New York's Apollo Theater opens in Harlem under new management and started a long history as an African-American musical mecca. And our joke of the day is actually a quote, an unintended bit of humor from Elizabeth Dole, Bob Dole's wife, who was then an aide to Ronald Reagan. She was quoted as saying, the president doesn't have any yes men and yes women around him. When he says no... We all say no. <laughs> Our quote of the day comes from Dave Barry, who once defined karate as a form of martial arts in which people who have had years and years of training can, using only their hands and feet, make some of the worst movies in the history of the world. Let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, from The Week magazine. Last week was judged a good week for frat boys after a Maryland judge ruled that the practice of mooning, that is, exposing one's buttocks in the direction of an intended viewer, is indeed a constitutionally protected form of free speech. Yay. It uh, unfortunately was a bad week for all Egyptians after a leading Islamic scholar in that country issued an edict banning married people from, quote, being completely naked, unquote, or looking at each other's bodies during sex. All right, and from the ugly file. Apparently last week, a group of Christian ministers snuck into the room where Supreme Court nominee Judge Sam Alito was to have his confirmation hearings and daubed the chairs with holy oil. 
They also smeared oil in the shape of a cross on the hearing room door. Reverend Patrick Mahoney of the Christian Defense Coalition insisted the ministers weren't taking sides, but said of the nomination, God is interested in what goes on. All right, and speaking of religious uh, crazies, uh, most of you, I think, were aware of the fact that uh, Christian broadcaster Pat Robertson did it again earlier this month when commenting on Prime Minister Ariel Sharon's stroke, said it may be divine punishment for, quote, dividing God's land. Uh, on his 700 Club television program, Robertson said, God considers this land to be his. You read the Bible and he says, this is my land. And for any prime minister of Israel who decides he's going to carve it up and give it away, God says, no, this is mine. A follow-up story we have uh, on that is that in Jerusalem, some of the authorities have decided they don't want to do business with Pat Robertson after he said that. Um, This puts into doubt plans uh, that Robertson's people have had to develop a large Christian Tourism Center in northern Israel. Avi Hartov, spokesman for Israel's tourism minister, said officials were furious with Robertson's suggestion that the stroke was retribution for Sharon's withdrawal from the Gaza Strip last summer. We can't accept this kind of statement, Hartov said. Hear, hear. And some follow-up on some previous uh, shows. We, we're standing by our, uh, our belief on this program that there's something wrong with Dick Cheney that they're not talking about. And we mean his health when we say that. Um, he does appear to have had a small stroke. We received an, an email from Jack and Kathy. You may want to check this out on the website bagnewsnotes, one word, dot com. Bagnewsnotes. They show pictures of Cheney wearing a different shoe on one foot, indicating that he may be suffering from some congestive heart failure in addition to his other problems. CHF, of course, sometimes uh, will result in you having a, quite a bit of edema or swelling in your ankle and um, make it difficult to wear your normal shoes. It's speculative, but uh, worth taking a look at. We did note in the letter that... Uh, that uh, Jack asks, why is it no one in America is interested in this other than Radio Parallax? Well, we don't know, Jack, but if we keep bringing it up, hopefully uh, the rest of America will follow suit. We want to also thank Jim, who sent us an email. We talked a bit a few weeks ago about lack of sleep and how, how people sort of are now realizing in the medical field that, my goodness, massive sleep deprivation might be bad for people. So a study was sent to us here uh, by Jim. This was done at, at uh, UC Berkeley, actually. But uh, I, I love the quote, which the investigator told the Reuters health reporter. Lack of adequate sleep is, quote, definitely not good for the brain in the long run, end quote. He added, it slows learning. I'm so tired. I haven't slept a wink. And we talked last year at some length about Gavin Newsom, the the mayor of San Francisco, who decided that in a tight election year, it would be a good time to then allow marriage licenses so that gay people could get married in San Francisco, thereby helping to mobilize all of the evangelical Christian vote in the red states and costing John Kerry um, how many states? Well, we're we're not sure. But uh, we're pretty sure it wouldn't have killed the mayor to have waited a few 
extra months until John Kerry from liberal Massachusetts, which also favors gay marriage, uh, would have had a shot at the White House and thereby uh, demonstrated a rather more favorable viewpoint toward this whole matter than four more years of Bush-Cheney. But, uh, you know, that would be just our opinion. And this might be a good time to remind you that the opinions you hear on Radio Parallax reflect only those of the host and do not in any way, shape, or form represent those necessarily of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California at Davis. We were reminded of Mayor Newsom because last week he came forward with the claim that cable car operators are pocketing the money. (laughs) Yes, apparently the suave and debonair mayor disguised himself as he got onto cable cars and did not observe necessarily that the operators were putting the money in the cash till. Now, of course, this has caused an uproar in San Francisco. Cable car operators are insisting that they are, you know, for the most part, honest. And I don't know. We'll just see what the mayor does with this. The most uh, surprising story that came, uh, came before us, I think, since we spoke to you last, is the following. A Dateline Paris from the Reuters News Service, Tom Hennigan, religious editor, the Roman Catholic Church has restated its support for evolution with an article praising a U.S. court decision that rejects the intelligent design theory as non-scientific. The Vatican newspaper, Il Observatore Romano, said that teaching intelligent design, which argues that life is so complex that it needed a supernatural creator, teaching that alongside Darwin's theory of evolution would only cause confusion. You know, being a lapsed Catholic myself, I I find that I don't often agree with the church hierarchy on on a great deal of social issues, but uh, hey, let's let's give credit where credit is due on this one. All right, here's a science item that has to come in in, in segment one because this is like so, so long overdue. I mean, in retrospect, you wonder how this could not possibly have been noted a long time ago. But guess what? You have sensors on your tongue that tell you that fat tastes good. The story is that nutritionist Philippe Besnard at the University of Burgundy in France has found 10,000 taste buds on the tongue. They've been missing these 10,000 taste buds forever, which seem to indicate a type that specifically responds to the flavor of fat. This would make uh, this the sixth known type of taste buds. And yes, if you're keeping score, we were all taught in school that there's sour, sweet, salty, and bitter. A few years back, they discovered a, uh, a one they're now calling savory or umami, which responds to uh, glutamate, which is you know an indicator of protein. So your tongue knows when it's being fed protein. And now, as it should have been so obvious in retrospect, your tongue knows when you're eating fat, which is why non-fat foods just aren't as satisfying. Anyway, these taste buds apparently have a receptor protein they're calling CD36 that appears to make lipids tasty to animals. It seems so obvious in retrospect that this would be important. I mean, you know, things don't evolve without having a reason. Most things that taste bitter are not pleasing, but, you know, it turns out that most poisons out there in in the environment, well, I don't know about most, but certainly a lot of them are bitter tasting, so it's a, it's a protective mechanism. Of course, you need lots of sugar, you need a little bit of salt, so it's good that your tongue could tell those, and I suppose that telling if some food has gone off or gone sour might have some protective value. But again, in retrospect, 
of course your tongue's going to be able to taste fat and taste protein. It just, it's amazing it took so long for us to figure this out. All right, I'm sure that uh, just about every single one of you, dear listeners, uh, also listens on occasion to National Public Radio. And uh, joining us now from Capital Public Radio is the glue that holds together the local morning edition broadcast, Donna Abadoni. Donna, welcome to Radio Parallax. Thank you, Doug. Nice to be here. Now, uh, you guys did something revolutionary, uh, apparently, last time you did a, uh, a fundraiser. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, we knew that fundraising had to be cut down somehow, that our audience would appreciate it if we were not on air quite so much with air drives, and they used to last about seven days. So we cut them down in half, literally cut it down in half in the fall, and we started it with a power hour, and the idea behind a power hour was to do a whole day's worth of fundraising in just one hour. So that was revolutionary because we tried it, first of all. That was (laughs) crazy in and of itself. And there's a lot of organization and structure and behind-the-scenes work to get ready for that. And then it was revolutionary again at the other end of it because it was so hugely successful. Our listeners really came through, and we were very grateful for the reaction we got. So we're going to do it again. I believe after the last uh, pledge drive that you had some spots by uh, by Michael Lazar, your, your president and, and general manager, expressing... Uh, uh, surprise and pleasure at the fact that it had worked out. Yeah. Do you, do you think that there's been a lot of surprise from other uh, NPR affiliates around the country that, that this is something that they may want to look at? From what I hear, uh, there there has been that kind of reaction. A couple of stations around the country had already tried it. Uh, that was where I heard about the idea in the first place, and then I we kind of made it our own. I kind of adapted what I heard about and really made it work for our station. But more and more now are saying, really, huh, that, that works that well, huh? It's not some kind of gimmick. It really does work, and now they are looking at it. Well, good. I, I do hope it, it catches on and that people can, uh, you know, that you can do, have to devote less time to this. I know everyone's got to sort of pitch in at the station. Everybody has to pitch in at the station, and everybody has to pitch in who's listening. And the way we're looking at it now, we'll be happy to keep them short as long as it works. As long (laughs) as we raise the money, we'll be happy to keep them short. I don't know what we're going to do if it doesn't go that way, but Mm. we're not going to worry about that. Well, I'm certain that a great many of our listeners uh, enjoy your programming at KXJZ Cap Radio, and I'm sure they're going to want to uh, do their part as well. Well, I hope so. We certainly appreciate that effort, and thanks for the plug. <laughs> well, you're, you're welcome. And of course, uh, being uh, Morning Edition's local host, one then has a few perks, uh, one of which appears to be uh, introducing some of the national figures when they come to town. Uh, Donna, I recall you um, prefacing the remarks of Terry Gross when she, when she came out last year. I said, hi, I'm not Terry Gross, but I'd like to be her when I grow up. <laughs> Which is funny because Terry's about a foot shorter than I am. <laughs> well, I, I was there and you did, in the audience that night. You did a great job. Terry Gross was very fascinating to listen to. And I guess, I guess what, Garrison Keillor's coming to town in, in a few months? Yes, he is. I taught Garrison Keillor how to polka backstage the last time he was in town. So maybe we'll, we'll do a little polka. No, I'm, I did teach him how to polka, but we don't have any plans to do that during his next visit. I'll be darned. (laughs) (laughs) You'd think a good Minnesota boy like himself would already know that, but no. Backstage at the Community Center Theater, we had polka lessons. 
Well, I'm I'm shocked and amazed to hear it, and, and hope that when he comes in May, you guys can continue to to uh, to, to poke up a storm. Well, you know, public radio is rather incestuous that way. Everybody knows everybody else, and it's all a lot of fun. Indeed it is. Well, uh, we wish you the best of luck starting on, on Monday, uh, Don, and hopefully you can come and talk to us again sometime. Thank you very much. All right, that was uh, Donna Abadoni, your, your local host here on the, the local affiliate for uh, uh, National Public Radio, who's also directing the upcoming Pledge Drive next week, which has been in the past able to raise a great deal of funds in a short amount of time, a lesson we may want to uh, you know try and learn from here uh, for our annual Pledge Drive coming up in April. And uh, let's go out of the segment here with a little bit that we've been saving for some time for, for just, just the right opportunity. We're, we're, we're pretty sure that they would not approve of this over at uh, Cap Radio in terms of a fundraising approach. But let's, uh, let's quote a little bit from an album that David Sedaris did some time back uh, on this topic. David Sedaris is, of course, a, uh, a comedic voice often heard on Ira Glass's program, This American Life. He appeared at the Mondavi Center uh, last year uh, here at UCD and promptly sold out. We hope he comes back. Last year, Ira Glass went to Philadelphia and he interviewed Terry Gross on stage. And they edited the tape down and then public radio stations across the country sold it for their begathon. They offered it off as a premium. And they asked me if I would write an introduction to the tape, and this was my first draft. (laughs) Hello, this is David Sedaris. I first listened to National Public Radio in 1977. I was young then, but saw the network for what it was and continues to be, a conspiracy of Jews. Look at the names. Robert Siegel, Nina Totenberg, (laughs) Ellen Weiss. Try calling on Yom Kippur and the only one in the building is poor Bob Edwards. (laughs) Who thought of converting but backed out when he discovered what circumcision meant. If you're anything like me, you listen to these Jews wondering what makes them tick. How did they come to know so much about our world and what's up with this whole Yahweh thing? (laughs) What follows is a rare glimpse into the minds of two of public radio's most exciting and industrious Jews. (laughs) Ira Glass and Terry Gross engaged in casual conversation before a live mixed audience. We, uh, we are pretty sure you will not hear that bit during the pledge efforts over at, uh, at CPR, but, you know, that's why we here at KDVS can, can reach out and lend a helping hand. You're listening to KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. This is Radio Parallax. I'm your host, Douglas Everett, and stay tuned for some more interesting stuff in segments two and three.